0: like in the third and fourth rounds and anything from there and like is just kind of like the upside trying to see like fill it in match up whatever but it's like drafting a guy in like the double digit rounds from a wide receiver perspective he's a sleeper I mean you're going to know what you have of him very early on you're going to know like for example like Rashad Bateman I like Rashad Bateman I'll draft him late in drafts but you're going to know what you have with him by week two by week two if he doesn't hit that like 10 target question, threshold or something like you know you can just drop him
1: you my know? question is that a bad thing because with the running backs when you have a handcuff for a lot of those guys in range you're just holding on and a lot of times you hold on to them later well with the wide receiver you can draft a guy like I mean a guy really late that I kind of like is John Brown because he could be the second target in that passing game for the Raiders, or a guy like Russell Gage, who can be wow, the I definitely or third
0: want the second target in the passing game for the Raiders.
1: I mean, that's definitely going to help. But John me Brown, just two years ago, had a thousand receiving yards. Like I'm I saying, know. some of these guys could be useful on your team later. While a tight end in this range is a complete flyer, taking a defense, who cares? You're telling me you don't want Johnny Smith? I mean, Johnny Smith. Is going at a certain range, but if you have one of the top tight ends... I'll take Irv taking Smith a backup, over
0: John Brown.
1: I mean, but when you look at Irv Smith, I used to like Irv Smith, but, like, what is he really going to do this year with Jefferson doing his thing, Thielen doing his thing, Cook doing his thing, and having the same roles last year, according to the head coach? What is John I mean, Brown going to do? <laughs> I mean, he had a 1,000 receiving yards two years ago, and he's the only real target... Other than Darren Waller. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to do a lot, but he could be of value. I know, but... Some let's... of those guys could be of value while some of the other guys you're taking... Like, even Mike Williams is going to be in this range. You like Mike Williams. I do like Mooney. Mike Williams. Like, these are guys that could have lots of value for a team while these running backs are guys that are going to be holding onto your roster. Like, should I cut this guy? Where's his upside? Is this guy getting injured? While the wide receivers, you kind of know what you're getting. And if it's great, you found value late. If okay,
0: it's I not- mean, let, let's say your draft has 15 rounds. I know 16 rounds is usually more formidable, but let's say for a second it's 15. You're taking your kicker and your defense in this range. So, what, you have six picks in the double-digit rounds. Let's say six picks. One's kicker, one's defense. I would usually like to take at least a backup quarterback in this range. I love taking a backup tight end because I think it's important to have for the upside. Because we see the Darren Waller, Mark Andrews upside picks that happened just like two years ago. Four picks right there. So you have two picks left. I mean, usually you're going to get an RB handcuff or an RB flyer in this range. So that leaves room for like one wide receiver. So let's say it's 16 rounds and you have seven picks then I would just add on a second running back, a second RB flyer. I just don't feel the need to load up on late-round wide receivers because, yes, there's Jefferson, but it's like there's just... Uh, I just feel like the wide receiver value is just kind of tanked after a certain point, and I love the value in the earlier rounds, and I don't see the point in loading up on wide receiver picks that you're going to drop after one week. Like, I'll take one, maybe two, depending on how heavy your bench is, but other than that, I mean... After you take one Rashad Bateman, you know, like, why do you need, like, Elijah Moore as well, is what I'm trying to say. Unless you're in, like, expert leagues or really deep bench leagues, of course.
1: Um, One thing I do have to say is once you get to, like, the eighth round pass, I think the wide receivers are pretty similar. So if you're going to grab other positions from the eighth, ninth round, I do think that a lot of the wide receivers... What I'm saying is that the wide receivers, at a certain point, yes, there's a drop-off, but I think that point is earlier than the tenth round. And so once you get to the 8th or ninth round, you can take other positions and grab very similar wide receivers in the 10th and 11th as you would in the 8th or the 9th. So I'm saying grab value or positions are going to keep dropping off. And then there's so many wide receivers that you can grab to in this range. I'm not saying that you need to have your whole roster of wide receivers. I'm just saying the difference between the 8th round wide receiver and the 11th round wide receiver is pretty similar. So why not grab it in the 11th or the 12th?
0: Yeah, but at that point, you should have at least three solid wide receivers on your lineup that you're comfortable starting on a weekly basis anyway. So unless you're in three wide receiver leagues, then you'll be targeting wide receivers a little bit heavier than. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm just I'm just saying. Like, wide receivers, l- late round, I mean, you shouldn't be stacking. The, the goal of the double-digit rounds shouldn't be to stack your team with wide receivers. If you end up with one or two, great, but you should never be doing, like, three-plus. Oh, the yeah, double, not
1: three-plus. I'm just saying, like, going saying. two isn't an atrocity in the fantasy world. It's, it depend, depends
0: on what your roster looks like. I mean, listen, if you punted the wide receiver position, then you totally need sleepers, but that goes for any position. If you punt it, you do need to load up late. That goes for any position.
1: Yeah, that is true. I mean, can't argue with that.
0: General rule. Okay, uh, kicker, defense, draft him late. Obvious. Um, the you're
1: only one thing this, for defense is that, that um, Andrew does this, I do it. Look at the first few matchups for the defense. You don't need to look at, like, three weeks prior, just day before your draft, two days before the draft. Look at which defenses have good early schedules because you're probably going to be streaming unless they're a top defense anyways.
0: Exactly. It's hard to predict top defense. I mean, Steelers were a pretty good defense two years in a row, but other than that, it's it's kind of hard to predict. Uh, they're also really inconsistent week to week, and you're going to find yourself holding on to a second defense anyway. Like, I find myself holding on to two defenses for most of the year, and I know it's like, wow, you could be using a better bench spot for that. But when you're in active leagues that are actively trading defenses, you do want to try to get the best matchup possible. And sometimes that means holding on to two defenses for various reasons because you need Mm. them later in the season. I also
1: also, at one point used two defenses for another reason. Um, I mean... There's, there are certain reasons. All I have to say is with defenses throughout the season in the draft, just work the matchups. That's how you win games.
0: Exactly. But defenses are so inconsistent sometimes that streaming is – they need to fix defense scoring because with how offense-heavy the NFL is today – What you're looking for in a defense is to not get negative points at this point. Like, literally, it's so easy to get negative points for a defense that they really need to adjust defense scoring in fantasy football. Like, they really need to do that because defenses are so... Un- I would rather... I know in one of my leagues, we got rid of kickers because kickers are dumb, but we cut the defense. I would rather get rid of defenses than keep like kickers. kickers. I don't
1: know. Kickers, there's something about kickers I like.
0: There's something about kickers, man. There's nothing better than when your kicker hits a 50-yard field goal. The defenses are just so useless in fantasy football. But then you could say, well, if you get rid of defenses, just get rid of kickers, and then all you have are quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, and running back, so that wouldn't be super fun. I don't know. Defenses... Need some adjustment. They need a rework. rework. We need the fantasy football gods to make a rework. I don't know who ESPN fantasy football to make a rework. I also don't like IDP,
1: so I'm not sure what the answer is there.
0: Exactly. I don't know what the answer is either. Is there anything else with general draft strategy besides go into it prepared uh, with who you want and who you want to target, but also be open-minded to value that's there?
1: Um, I think the last thing that needs to be known is something crazy. Just know who you're drafting with. I mean, on a year-to-year basis, people draft a certain way. People draft quarterbacks early. People go, heavy running back? Know who you're drafting with before the draft so you can predict patterns and pretty much predict value in the future. I mean, that's kind of the main thing with drafts. Just know who you're drafting
0: with. Exactly. That's hard to know sometimes, especially if it's mm-hmm. online versus when you're in person. I yeah, love be- those because you can read the room. I just realized we didn't really talk about auction drafts, but we also... I mean, that, really, that, can be, that can be a later video. That can video. be a different video. That can be a later you know? video. This is just simple snake redraft, multiple formats. I mean, this applies to any format. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for this episode. See you guys next time. everybody and welcome back to casual sports fans today we're talking fantasy football and we're talking about draft strategy the mindset that you should have going into your drafts and what can go wrong and right in the crazy world of nfl fantasy football drafts this is evan and andrew and here comes the intro All right, let's start off with the most important position in fantasy football, the running back position, because of the scarcity and the high potential for points and the ability to win you your league. I mean, I would say that you can win and lose your league on draft night just by running back selections. So how do we feel like it's the... Okay, so I guess the, the question we're trying to ask is an answer is how do you attack the running back position in a draft?
1: I mean, drafting your own position, a lot of time depends on where you're drafting, but I think in general, you don't want to go with the no running back strategy, and even it's really risky if you want to go, I think is it called the hero ball, where you just draft run running back, and you just shy away from everyone else. I think that's a bit risky. So personally, wherever I am, I want to grab two running backs early, and two running backs in the first three rounds, if possible, is almost necessary for me to come out of any phase to draft with. Do you have that same mindset? I mean, my mind says I like... So,
0: there are a couple different strategies that Mm -hmm. people like to call. One of them is zero RB, where they kind of punt the RB position until the fourth or fifth round, and then just load up on a ton of high upside guys. So, early in the draft, they're going to snap their elite tight end. They're going to get, like, three really good wide receivers. And so... They basically have their two wide receivers, their flex spot, and their tight end, all with exceptional players that you play regardless of matchup. And then from there, you can pick guys who you also grab an elite quarterback, usually in this strategy. Mm -hmm. And then you grab a bunch of high upside guys, knowing that, you know, at least two two of them, they'll get enough value per week that your wide receivers, tight end, and quarterback can just carry you to a victory. Because in your eyes, you know, what's the point? getting a running back that's going to get you 20 points when you can just get two running backs that get you each 10 points and just getting wide receivers that, like, get 20 to 30 each week, you know? So it's an interesting strategy. In some years, it's tempting, and it varies based on the bust rate for running backs Mm -hmm. and wide receivers. I went back and looked at this year, and I included injuries in the bust rate, and running backs were busting at a lot... Like, in the first, like, first... I did, like, rounds one through three and then rounds four through seven. In the rounds one through three, running backs were busts at a much higher rate than they usually were, and wide receivers were at a much lower rate. So that's why we saw teams that had a lot of these early wide receivers be really successful unless they had, like, Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara. So it is, like, mm-hmm. a tempting strategy,
1: right? You yeah, know, it's intriguing. I mean, sometimes in a mock draft, I want to try out, my team... Looks good until I used to look at my running back position, i just get scared. I mean, looking at the high upside running backs, like, there's a chance that none of them break out, and then you're really, really stuck with guys that are in backup roles. So, I mean, it's a really intriguing strategy, and if you can do it right and get the right high upside running backs, it could pay off big with you having two top 12 wide receivers and a top 10 end, but also, I mean, this isn't a strategy I'm going into many drafts with. It's just an intriguing one that occasionally I try out, but... I mean, I'm not
0: looking into it too much. I feel like punting the running back position completely early on is just generally a bad idea Mm, because you're willingly putting yourself in the running back dead zone. So if you don't know the running back dead zone, and we don't have a video today, so we can't show you, but basically running backs in between the third and sixth rounds uh, generally are, they... Okay, the best way to put it is that when you graph wide receivers and running backs going across the same... uh, picks like across the same line wide receivers always tend to score more than the running backs except for at like the very very top of drafts but other than that what happens is that when you get to the third through sixth rounds wide receivers continually go down but running backs take a really sharp divot down and just shows that for what you're drafting them for running backs completely underperform their wide receiver counterparts and they're really Mm -hmm. risky in the third through sixth rounds now that doesn't mean that you need to avoid any running back between rounds three through six that is not what it means what it means is that you shouldn't bank your running backs on your entire teams in those rounds so you don't want to draft two or three running backs in rounds three through six because in general unless you get really lucky the running backs are not going to perform to the value that you're drafting them at so Mm -hmm. a general idea and a general rule of thumb is to avoid the rb dead zone
1: yeah it's not just avoid the rb dead zone it's more of be wary of whoever you are picking in the rb dead zone as well because when you're looking at the wide receivers in rounds three for six a lot of them have pretty guaranteed volumes you know they're at least going to be wide receiver, too, but some of these running backs in this dead zone, while you're picking them as a running back, too, could drop out of the running back three conversation, even. There's just such little floors in some of these guys that you can't bank your entire rosters on a lot of these guys. You're picking pretty high in comparison to the wide receivers you can get
0: oh and also another part is just i love the wide receivers that you can get in like the third fourth and fifth round so i mean if we're looking at the third round i will take any guy from michael thomas to keenan allen to terry mclaurin to Allen robinson in the fourth round i love guys like Ceedee lamb amari cooper robert woods cooper cup i mean i'm not trying to give away all my secrets but there what i'm just trying to portray is that like there are so many options for wide receivers and those guys are gonna at the very least meet their expected value and you know that now a couple strategies that people like to coin are either hero rb or bimodal rb and hero rb is where you get your running back in the first round and he's just gonna be like the one elite guy and then from there on out through your draft you just load up on the other positions and then you just kinda like a is basically zero RB except for
1: You're like wrong
0: you range. get one running back early and you punt the RB position later and basically just say, listen for my second running back spot throughout the year I'm just going to go by streams, matchups, upside guys that I drafted late, and I'm just going to try to get like 10 points a week from that spot. But I'm still going to have that rock at the running back position because it isn't necessarily smart to punt that position. And now I'm not saying that it's not a good strategy. What I'm saying is you should never go into a draft with a Mm -hmm. set mindset of what you're going to do, you know you don't know who's going to be available at each pick. And as much as I like to try to figure it out, and I've done a lot of math this year with very specific data to try to get a decent idea of who's going to be available at certain picks and certain home leagues. And I think it's going to be pretty decent at predicting it, but you never actually genuinely know who's going to be there. So if you get a solid running back in the first round and there's just no running back you like in the second round, never force yourself to take one. Mm -hmm. But the general rule of thumb that I think Evan also agrees with is I like ending the first two rounds with two solid running backs. You know, wherever you are in the draft, whether you have an early pick and you end up with, like, McCaffrey and then maybe coming back around, like, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or something, you know, because you're at the 101 at that point. If you're in the middle, maybe you get something like Ezekiel Elliott or Austin Eckler or maybe even Saquon Barkley and you come back around with, like, Najee Harris or Cam Akers or even at the end, you know, you get, like, a Nick Chubbs and an Aaron Jones or maybe Austin Eckler, depending on the scoring format of your league. I mean... I just feel like there's so much opportunity to end up with two running backs that unless you get really unlucky and there's just like no one there because everyone went running back, I mean, you really should be coming out of the first two rounds with two running backs. And like, what do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think often you you should come out of your draft with two running backs in the first two rounds, but also you got to read your draft room. Sometimes running backs are going earlier than they should. And there's a guy like a... I mean, Tyreek Hill isn't going to be falling into many second rounds. We have a Tyreek Hill, De- DeAndre Hopkins falling into the mid-second. You can get... Calvin really late. So, I think mean, that is some value that you might have to pounce on if you can get Travis Kelsey really late. I mean, I wouldn't set yourself, you want to get two running backs, but you also want to look at value. I mean, there's certain times where you want to draft Travis Kelsey because he's such high value compared to everyone else in this position. So, while it would be nice to grab like an Eckler or Najee Harris, Travis Kelsey might be pretty hard to pass up. So, I think you want to go into your draft looking for two running backs. But don't be set on taking two running backs. Exactly. I
0: think that's the way to go around it. I think that the best way to look at a draft is to go into it kind of thinking that the normal is. Because now I'm not going to go into a draft and just say, okay, I'm going to take whatever value falls to me. Whatever value. Because I don't feel like that's enough of a plan. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, you may have done your research. You know which players you like. You know which players you like at the value because maybe you know your pick ahead of time for certain leagues you know i know my pick for one of my leagues and not another but you never i just feel like saying that oh i'm just gonna get the value isn't really a genuine plan because i feel like you're gonna start to pump the rb position a little bit more because in reality in most case scenarios i mean the non-running back is usually technically the better value a lot of time i mean for the amount of points scored.
1: Once, once again, I'm, I mean, I say like read the room because you can end up. I mean, not in all leagues, but in some leagues, if you grab like an Eckler and a Kelsey back to back, I think that's a pretty solid combo, and to go into the third round, if you can get a guy like a Clyde edwards Lear or J.K. Dobbins, which is very possible based on ADP.
0: No, not late third for Clyde Edwards-Hiller.
1: I mean, depending on the format. I think on standard or half BPR, it's more likely, but... That's true. I mean, we're just saying that because we're, we've are we been drafting, we're looking at experts, but a lot of guys are have lowered CH in the rankings to a point where at ADP, he's at 28, and that puts him, like, like mid-third round, and he can Early
0: mid-third round. I any. mean, what I'm saying Come is, on.
1: there's not always going to be great running backs coming to you in the mid-to-late third round, but... It is possible to have a good running back duo while not going to running backs, but if possible, you want to solidify your running back room if you have a late first round pick.
0: The way that I like to think about drafts in general, because it is true that running backs bust at a higher rate, so if you want to come out of your first round with a player that's not going to be a bust, more likely than not, you should take the top wide receiver off the board, you know? You know, the top guys, you know, let's assume Aaron Rodgers is back. That'd be Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, because we know that they're going to produce unless they get hurt. But they get hurt at a less rate than the top running backs, very clearly. I mean, McCaffrey, Barkley, we saw the injuries that happened. Zeke, it was he was hurt and everyone else around him was hurt. So that, I mean, kind of. Okay, But I feel like the norm for me when I go into drafts is I want to get the two running backs early. But if there's value, I kind of do like a hero RB thing where... I take the next one and then I wait until I can get a good value on another running back. So Mm -hmm. sure, the value might come in the third round and someone falls exactly like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire can fall or whatever. But if I don't see that value in the third round or something, or even in the fourth, I'm okay waiting to get my second running back in like the fifth round and maybe pair up a fifth round running back like Travis Etienne with a sixth round running back like, uh, Javante Williams you know but in that second third and fourth round you're probably getting an elite tight end and two really good wide receivers so I almost feel like it's get the running back but if the running back that you really want at that value isn't there then you switch over from the default of running back to then another position I mean yeah. I don't know if that's like a it's, it's weird to way say to think yes about it, but when,
1: for me whenever I do that strategy there's one player that always ends up on my team and that's Mike Davis. I don't know why, but just whenever yes. I'm doing the strategy, I like to take Mike Davis and I like to take one of those rookie running backs that have high upside. And I'm happy with my team when I do that. But if I can't get a second guy like a Mike Williams who you know, is going to be there, I'm just taking upside guys. It's a bit scary on my team, but you can pull off that strategy while doing that as well
0: yeah because what you're looking for when you then draft running backs outside of the first two rounds is you want a guy that's going to give volume now Clyde Edwards Hilaire is kind of the exception because to the RB dead zone because we feel like he really shouldn't even be considered in the RB dead zone I mean he is going to be a great pick for anyone getting him anywhere in the third round this year so we don't really consider him there but when you're looking at running backs I mean Sure, Todd Gurley kind of failed in the Atlanta offense, but he was kind of dead, and the offense was terrible and stuff. They have Arthur Smith as their OC now, coming over from Tennessee. You know he loves to run the ball. And they brought in Mike Davis, who had an incredible year. So, yes, he's not going to have the year that he had last year with the Panthers because the Panthers are just built for one running back to do extremely well in the offense. But if you're getting Mike Davis in the fourth, maybe even fifth round, I mean— I'd say, like, end fourth, maybe early fifth. I don't know the exact range. It kind of varies depending on what site you're Mm -hmm. using to do your mock drafts or whatever, but if you're getting him in that range because you missed out on a running back early and you need a good RB2 that you know is going to at least get the ball, even if it's not that efficient in how he gets it, he's a good option. And, I mean, there's a couple guys like that. I mean, you know Chris Carson, until he gets Mm -hmm. hurt, is going to get the ball. You know that – Miles Gaskin. I mean, you you, you might not know think so, but yeah, Miles Gaskin's going to get volume. Yeah, I think so. I think Miles Gaskin's going to get volume unless the offense is bad. So I think that's kind of the key to, like, don't get too cute if you kind of missed out and you only have one running back coming out of the first, like, three rounds, you know? Don't get cute. Pick the guy that you know is going to get the ball. Don't try to be a hero and pick the guy that might sneakily be efficient with his touches. Just pick the guy that's going to get the touches, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And talking about another position where, I mean, having a top one is great, but there's also value value kind of a bit lower at tight end. I mean, looking at the tight end strategy, what kind of strategy are you normally looking for? And also, I mean, what do you normally end up with? with your end strategy? So it depends
0: on what position I'm drafting from, because if I, like, I, I love drafting Kelsey in, like, the late first, early second. Like, if I have one of those picks, I'm okay picking Kelsey in the late first because I know that there's going to be a solid running back, whether it's Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris in the second round that I can anchor my team with. Um, But, like, I've seen myself picking Darren Waller in the late second round and mid-second round in PPR leagues because... Darren Waller just gets so much volume in that offense, and that's not going to change. There's no reason for it to change. They love him, and he just gets the ball so much. It's just kind of whether, like, if he gets a touchdown, turns his game from 15 points to 25 points for that week. I mean, in PPR, he's... I mean, I see no reason not to draft him in the second round in PPR leagues. But I think for the average person who doesn't want to get too greedy with the tight end position, just kind of say to yourself, okay, if I see Waller or Kittle in the third round, I'm gonna take them. But outside of that, I'm just gonna let the position be. You know, I'm not a huge fan of like the Hawkinson Andrews Goddard fanf stage. I'm I know you sometimes like to draft Hawkinson and stuff, and you like Goddard as well. But if I don't get one of those top three tight ends, I'm just kind of punting the position until I can get sleepers.
1: I mean, yeah, I think that is a good strategy. I think it's like the go great or go late at tight end. But also, I mean, for me, when I look at guys like Hawkinson and Goddard, they fall in drafts at a level where you're taking them at a point where you're not taking them at their ceiling. I feel like with Hawkinson, at the at the moment he's being drafted in the fifth round, you look at what he can do and the volume that he will get. He's a pretty safe option that If you just look at the board at the time, you don't like the running backs. The wide receivers are good, but you can get some of the same guys in sixth. It's not a bad pick. I don't think Goddard's a bad pick. And you can maybe get him in seventh, eighth round. Maybe he'll fall even more. But if you want to go with a top guy, that's great. And I also would like some of the guys later, like Tyler Higbee's guy that we all like. But I do think a lot of the later guys are kind of throwing up in there, you got to take more than one because... I mean, will they perform? Will they not perform? Who knows?
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, pair them up. You know, like, there's a lot of late guys. There's, like, the Tyler Higby's, the Johnny Smith's, the Adam Troutman's, the um, Eric Smith's, the... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of guys late. So, the issue with the middle rounds with tight ends is that I never really feel great whenever I pick them. Sometimes, like, I'll... You know, the goal of mock drafts is to try out different strategies, and whenever I pick, like, one of those middle-tier guys in, like, the middle rounds, I never really feel good about it. I always feel like I was, like, dang, I really wish I picked someone different there. But of course, if there's no one on the board that you like and there's a tight end sitting there with good value, you should always take them. Because at the end of the day, that's what a fantasy football draft is, just finding the biggest value that you can. So I feel like that's another way to just kind of think about it with tight ends. I mean, wherever you can get the value in the position, you're going to succeed because... Sure, you may have a bad tight end, but if you have a bad tight end, then you probably have really good other positions.
1: I mean, last year I paired Hawkinson and Gasicki very late round. I think a lot of people are already taking their second tight ends by then when I grabbed my first and my second. And Hawkinson worked out, and that's all that really mattered. Like, even though Gasicki didn't turn out the way I wanted him to be and I dropped him at a certain week, I had Hawkinson. So once you pair two guys late round, high upside, that could be a strategy to get it done. But obviously, like Andrew said values value and if you can get a top ish tight end at good value you gotta take it
0: now the quarterback position is very interesting this year because everyone in the fantasy football community always preaches draft your quarterbacks late wait, draft them by earliest in the eighth round to the point where i feel like the average draft position for quarterbacks is almost fallen to a point mm-hmm. where there is value in picking one on the earlier side now If you look at the ADP or the consensus rankings for Mahomes, we're not saying to draft Mahomes in the third round like our uh, companion Ben Gutowski said that was a good value. No, it's not. But, I mean, the fact that you can get a top five guy, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, not in any specific order, just naming them. If you can get, like, any of them in the fifth round, I would say that that's a good value. What do you think?
1: I mean, you said it's the drafting quarterbacks interesting this year. For me, it's not. For me, it's so I see one of those top guys in the fifth round at great value. I mean, if you're seeing a Kyler Murray, a Lamar Jackson, guys like that in the fifth round, those are league winners for you. They got the rushing upset. You know what you have in those guys. And unless there's another guy you really love, those guys in the fifth round, great pick, but if not, I mean, there's a whole tier of guys of the Tom Brady's, the Joe Burrows, the Stafford's, the Tannehill's that you can pair up later. And I mean, I think either of those strategies, you're going to either get one of those top guys in fifth round, which I see a lot great value, or you can just get two of those guys later, like the Tannehill Burrow, Tannehill Stafford. And that's great. I mean, for me, quarterback is a position I always feel pretty safe about after my mock drafts this year because, I mean, I'm doing well either way. I've
0: done everything with the quarterback position. I feel like I have the most experience with trying out different quarterback strategies in real leagues. I've genuinely picked quarterbacks in the second round of leagues. I've picked quarterbacks in the middle rounds, like the fifth round. I've also just kind of waited on the position and drafted them late. I've done everything and I've had success and failure at pretty much any position. But I think that the most efficient way to do it is, once again, to find the value. And I see that the best value is picking a guy that has a very safe rushing floor, one of those top five guys, in the fifth round. Because at the end of the day, the guy with the least rushing value in the fifth round is Dak Prescott. But we know he's going to throw for like 5,000 yards and like Mm -hmm. a lot of touchdown passes because the Cowboys are still going to be behind in games. And there are a lot of targets. So, the fact that Dak Prescott's the only one that doesn't have a rushing floor of, like, what... How, how many rushing yards do you do you think that Dak Prescott, like, has? Let me...
1: I mean, Dak Prescott isn't a guy that's going to give you rushing yards, but like Andrew said, he was on a pretty historic pace for, on his passing yards last year. That will more than make up for it, and obviously he won't um, pass at that level, but with the pieces they have in the offense and the strategy they have when they're... Pretty much always down in games, he's the garbage time master. He'll give you as many garbage time points as you really need. So I think Dak Prescott can get the job done, even with the somewhat limited rushing upside.
0: Now, I just want to point this out, because if we look at the top quarterbacks from last year, it's basically just if you're a passing quarterback, you need to have a ridiculous season just to enter the top conversation. So we look at Josh Allen. So he had eight rushing touchdowns. is ridiculous. But in 421 rushing yards, Kyler Murray, number two quarterback, 819 rushing yards. He also had 11 rushing touchdowns to pair with that. But then you go to any guy that has like less than 200 rushing yards, he needs to kind of be ridiculous in the air. So like Aaron Rodgers, 149 rushing yards. But we do know that he threw for 48 touchdowns. So, of course, that's a great way to make up for it. But it's not consistent and reliable. Patrick Mahomes, 308 rushing yards. Which, you know, that's what I'm saying. He hits that 200 threshold. That's, like, enough. But on top of that, he threw for 4,700 yards and had more touchdowns, passing touchdowns, than Josh Allen or Kyler Murray on top of that. But, like, Deshaun Watson, 444 rushing yards. Russell Wilson, 513. I mean, the next one is, like, two, six, 266. But, had, but Tannehill, Tannehill had seven rushing touchdowns. That's something that rushing, exactly. Something that's
1: not talked about. He is. Some rushing game in his horizon. Brady had
0: six rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns, and they're all QB sneaks. But to just to be a top-eight quarterback, just to be the eighth overall quarterback last year, he had to have 40 touchdowns and 4,600 passing yards. I mean, listen, the one exception was kind of like Lamar Jackson had 1,005 rushing yards last year and was barely in the top ten but I you didn't know, he was comfortably in the top 10. He was comfortably in the top 10, but he only had 2,700 passing yards. And that's just a number where we should see positive regression. And I mean, looking back at like 2019, I mean, you see all the top. Yeah. Like all the top guys right here. Number one, Lamar Jackson, 1,200 rushing yards. Next one, Dak Prescott, 277 rushing yards. James Winston, 250 rushing yards. Russell Wilson, 342, 413, 510, 554, 218, 243, the highest quarterback that had less than 200 rushing yards was Aaron Rodgers at number 10 back in 2019. So sure, Dak Prescott, he doesn't have the safe rushing floor of getting like 400 to 500 rushing yards, which is what Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, and well, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson are probably going to each hit a thousand rushing yards this season, probably. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, like, that's the point I'm trying to make. I just like the safe floor because Tannehill, uh, Herbert, Rogers, Brady. I mean, I love all of them at a certain value, and I see myself picking every single one of them, Brady a little bit less, but I just think that they don't have it as safe of a floor no matter where they're drafted because they don't get that rushing upside, which is really important for quarterbacks these days. I don't know, just my thought.
1: Yeah, I do agree that if you can get one of those guys with that rushing upside and that rushing value in the fifth round, it's great, but I... I do think that a guy like Tannehill, which lacks, I guess, a bit of rushing yards, he scores rushing touchdowns. A guy like Joe Burrow, who might not have the most rushing yards, will also get some volume in the rushing game. I just think when you get to the volume of Tom Brady, who has pretty much nothing in the rushing game, I think that's where you kind of draw the line of, like, is this guy going to be completely dropped off because of the rushing game, or is he going to be, like, slightly I'm dropped off because of Exactly.
0: But it, it does limit your upside because clearly the only way to become a top five quarterback and have less than 200 rushing yards is to have, like, 50 passing touchdowns yeah, and sure. almost 5,000 passing yards. I mean, that's the only upside that you have. So... That's why I just love those guys' value in the fifth round. I mean, I'm not going into the fourth round because I love the wide receivers in the fourth round. I mean, it's pretty much penciled in that in every single draft, I'm picking a wide receiver in the fourth round. Because there are just so, there's are so darn many. I mean, there really are. Uh, but fifth round? I mean, who knows? They could be gone in your home league by the time you're in the fifth round depending on where you are. But yeah, I agree. Guys like Tannehill, guys like Rodgers, guys like Herbert are good values still late, and don't feel pressured to have to take one of those top guys. Because the second you start to reach for players is when you lose their value, especially when you're drafting them at their ceiling or drafting a position that doesn't mean as much in fantasy football, the quarterback position.
1: Also, one more thing is that not everyone is in a league where people are being considered experts in doing lots of research. So don't be... I mean, you could call it peer pressured into taking a quarterback in the second, third, fourth round, even if everyone else is, because if you're getting one of those guys later, because eventually everyone's going to have a quarterback. I mean, what I'm saying is, like, if a lot of people are taking quarterbacks early, take advantage and get value at other positions. Don't be pressured into also taking a quarterback, especially early, too. Exactly. Wide receivers. I mean, we kind of brought it up with the running backs, but it's just
0: kind of like... It feels like a lot. Every single one of the top like fifteen receivers is like very safe where they're currently drafted. Mm-hmm. Like I, looking at the receiver list, it doesn't. I don't really point any out and say, "Wow, I really feel like this guy is being over drafted right now." Maybe AJ Brown is a couple spots too high for me with Julio being there now. But other than that, I mean, really, any guy is just really good of where they're being picked but so that's kind of the reason why i'm not super high on like oh i need adams or hill in the first round
1: exactly i think in the first three or four rounds were overvalued videos we couldn't even say wide receiver because so many of them were at such a great value that it was like pretty hard to pick one so like we were saying once you hopefully have gotten your running backs there isn't that many bad options in the third or fourth round because there are the safe guys in the fourth round, like a Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. And some of the guys like that, with like the Mario Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, there's so many good values in these rounds that you shouldn't be worried to take two running backs really and be scared about your wide receiver position. And then another conversation we had, I'm pretty sure our last video would be out. We talked about kind of like the later wide receivers, and Andrew thought found that there's little to no value of taking a wide receiver past the 10th round, which I disagree with. I'd like to hear a bit more about that, but why, why is that? Um, My
0: idea, that idea is just like half the wide receivers that you end up on your team with are going to be coming from the waiver wire. So it's not that I want to avoid every single wide receiver in the double-digit rounds. It's just that ideally I'm not drafting more than one because ideally I should get the guys that I'm starting on a weekly basis early.